Yes, come on now. What's your story? The wonderful Tanya Stevens. I love that queen. Beautiful song. So I'm really excited because my very special guest will be joining us in about eight, well, just after eight minutes because we're going to have four minutes at five for the promos. This is the Eclectic Goddess. This is the Speak Your Truth show. This is for Ferity Radio. And I'm bringing you hopefully engaging conversation, eclectic music and a pan-African perspective. So last year I played a track around the same time in March. And we know March is International Women's Month. We're coming to the end of the month. The one month that we women have to celebrate womanhood. And I love this track and it just sums it up. And it's by the wonderful... Beyonce. If I were a boy, even just for a day, I'd roll out of bed in the morning and throw on what I wanted and go. Drink beer with the guys. And chase after girls I kick it with who I wanted And I never get confused All day, every day Playing your favorite songs This is my favorite Just a boy. 
Yes, if I were a boy, Beyonce, and I'm very, very pleased to have in the studio my very special guest, Sister Redzapile. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Isis. Oh, I love that voice. How are you, Sister? I'm doing fine, I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day. I know, it makes us feel really positive. And you've selected a, a selection, our wonderful tracks. We're going to try and play all of them. We have a break at five o'clock for our promos for about four minutes. So what we're going to do is play this track by Miriam McCabe. Do you want to tell us what it's called? Uh, it's called Sabu Moya. And why did you choose it? Um, I chose it because it's a kind of a spiritual song. Um, I think when this uh, Huma Sikala put this album together, all these uh, African women were in New York um, and in exile during apartheid. And he, he just decided to get all the young musicians upcoming and the uh, um, Maria Makeba, who was already well known. And it was a kind of like a spiritual chanting, like a connection between home and the place of sort of like exile where yeah. they were at that time. So it's a kind of a really strong spiritual connection for me. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, no more. Yes, this is the Eclectic Goddess here with the Speaker Truth Show and my very special guest, Sister Retsapile Makame. Makamani. Makamani. I keep saying it wrong. Oh, my God, my pronunciation. Oh, the curse of not having uh, the an African uh, palate. Oh, no, you have it. It comes back, you know. Yes, I've got to reclaim it. So do you want to do an introduction to our listeners? All day. I did a very, very day. brief introduction, but I think songs. you should introduce yourself. This Oh, Perry thank you. Ray. My name is Fritza Pile Makamani. I hail from a very, very tiny mountainous country called Lesotho. It's completely landlocked by South Africa. So if South Africa had a small baby inside, Lesotho would be it. We cannot cross to any other country without um, crossing into South Africa. I am currently studying at SOAS, uh, University of London, and I'm studying African literature. And my focus is the aesthetics of African literature, uh, particularly indigenous uh, aesthetics of the literature, because I feel that um, our, our, our critical analysis or study of um, uh, African literature is always not focused on um, the roots, uh, the culture and the languages and the traditions uh, within which these literatures are produced. Uh, so that that is the focus of my PhD, and yeah, I've been living in London for the past three, um, four years, and I, one of the best things that have happened is that I've met people like uh, Goddess Isis, who is, <laughs> thank you, that's very who's kind, who is a true blessing, I think, to all black women and men. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so important that we have a wonderful woman like Sister Etzapile here on our International Women's Month special. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about the work that Sister Retsipile is doing around literature and the importance, actually, of the recognition of African, indigenous African literature and why it's also important that we, uh, we recognize, we acknowledge, and we celebrate literature in indigenous languages. I think we can have a talk about that as well. Now, we've got a lot of music to get through. And we're going out live on YouTube on Feferity London. If you want to see the beautiful Sister Retsipile, as well as hear her beautiful tones, you can tune in 
and catch us there. Of course, we are on Feferity Radio. You can give us a heads up, send us a, a message on 07305417668. And if you're outside the UK, you drop that first zero and put a plus four four, stick with 7305417668. So we're going to play another one of your tunes, another one of your selections. What is this tune and why did you um, choose it? This is uh, Michelle de Gochello. Um, the song is called Got Shiva. I love this song um, in a sense because I think she's one of the, wom the women, I think, in the music industry that has gone, I think, beyond the confines of um, what instrument is played by um, what person. As a woman who plays bass, I just... Um, she just owns it and brings that like entire self to that kind of um, uh, um, presentation of the music. And I just feel like her music uh, crosses so many lines, so many limitations. And uh, th this song, God Shiva, for me, it's about this sense of divinity, but not external inside of us. So I see that as like a black woman, like inhabiting and occupying that space of godliness, like it is inside of us. Beautiful. I love that introduction. Let's hear the tune. Mama 
You're listening to Forferity Radio. Yes, you are listening to Feferity Radio. This is the Eclectic Goddess with Sister Queen Retsapile. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about African literature and why it's important to bring it, you know, to celebrate it really and to acknowledge it. What, what, where did your interest begin with uh, literature and particularly with, you know, obviously, African literature? Because, you know, even in Africa listeners sadly a lot of the literature in schools and in universities is european so there's still a a movement or a, a need to reclaim our own literature so the one interesting thing um and i will refer to one of my favorite um pan-africanist writers here um cabral who says when movements like negritude attempt so hard to go back to the past to the roots to the sources what they don't realize is that the sources actually do not need any post-colonial or any decolonization because the sources this is the uh, rural um um um, pastoral areas have had a continuation or a progression of the arts particularly literature uh, verbal art storytelling that we urbanized people educated people have detached ourselves from so if you go to a small village and you ask people uh, or you tell people we have to decolonize they'll probably be shocked like what are we decolonizing <laughs> yeah so i grew up in a small village um in Lesotho, uh, very far um, in the mountains. And my grandmother was a storyteller. And this is not very special that my grandmother was a storyteller. Everybody's uh, family had somebody who was a brilliant storyteller. So I know that in the African tradition or the African tradition that I come from, and I've seen this uh, reading literatures from say uh, Nigeria or other parts of Africa, Central Africa, East Africa, um, even North Africa, which uh, uh, sometimes you would think uh, is slightly different culturally. But you see this sense of, it's like medicine. In the family, you have this uh, kind of um, heritance um, or a gene or a DNA thing that is passed um, uh, throughout the lineage. So you would have somebody who in the family who is a storyteller in the same way that they would say you would have somebody in a person who's a diviner, a mm. seer, or a healer. So we have this kind of culture. In my family, my grandmother was the greatest storyteller on earth. I I would I would count it among uh, greatest uh, literature uh, makers, and I grew up being trained to tell stories. So you would have to mimic her. So wow. she would tell stories in the evening, and let me tell you, these were like long epics that would just go on and on. You just want to go home before she falls asleep <laughs> because you want to hear the story. So the second part of literature for me was going to primary school and high, and high school. And I grew up um, in the in the 90s. This this was the era of the Heinemann series, which I think managed uh, Achebe managed to um, edit. I think two African collections. So they had West Africa, North Africa, uh, East Africa, Southern African writers, upcoming writers. Ngugi Wationgo was a small boy. Mm. Achebe himself was a young man at that time. Even Caribbean literature to me came through those series at school. So the culture of being told a story around a fire uh, growing up as a child in, in the village, especially in winter when it's snowing, story oh, you time. Had, you're from the part of Africa where it snows. It snows I in my country. I think it's important people to know that we, we do have snow in Africa. We have everything in Africa. We have everything. We have all the weathers in Africa. So that is how I came into storytelling. In a sense, I, I wouldn't say I came into storytelling myself or I came into literature because of the culture that I grew up in. I was bound, like literature came to me, literature found me. It's your destiny. It was my, my destiny. Like we have a very rich um, culture of poetry, praise poetry, poetry for animals, uh, di divination poetry. If you go and see a healer, he will do or she will do poetry uh, to 
tell you what the ancestors are saying, what the, the, the ails in the community that you're in or in your family. So we, 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 we are a very, very poetic culture. And this is not specifically a Sesotho thing. The most amazing thing is if you actually look at what these earlier anthropologists have done throughout the entire African continent, you will find more organized and like furnished African literature and orality than in written literature. We think Africa, uh, African literature has been written so much. We're such the novel has taken over. We're such a writing culture. Actually, we need to go to the archives and find every single culture in Africa. And I don't want to talk about countries because I'm not into this idea of nation state. But every culture has produced such intense, diverse, immense literature that as an African child, for me, is almost automatic to specialize mm. in literature. It's, it's who I am. Storytelling and uh, literature, all forms of literature, poetry, prose, epic, uh, song, um, riddles, um, proverbs, they I mean, belong do to we, me. Do we in Africa separate them out? Because you know we have a tendency in the West to compartmentalize everything. Everything's in boxes. Do we separate poetry from storytelling or from prose? Or is it all part of an oral tradition and it's just somebody could tell you a poem one night and a, tell you a story another night? Um, it's in two ways. And I'll tell you one thing, because unlike written literature, um, the form of oral literature is so, um, what is this word? It's so fine, like it's so tuned that it's gone through a lot of years and practice and really good specialists like griots, storytellers. So these people actually care deeply about form and structure and content. Whereas literature, written literature, you could say it's still here. So um, in terms of whether we fragment them in, this, in the same way that uh, uh, Western literature does, we do and we don't. Mm. So sometimes you can find poetry happening at um, like ceremonies of initiation, girls' initiation, uh, boys' initiation, or uh, um, dignitaries visiting like uh, the king or the chief or an important person who's from outside. So that kind of praise poetry happens um, at that time. And then another form of poetry, which is like uh, cow's poetry, where I come from, it will be specialized by head boys. So I wouldn't know. My brothers would be very, very good in such poetry because they go to the landscape with the cows every day, come back, and they sing this kind of poetry. They have musical instruments that accompany them. So mm. it's, again, it's a kind of, they, they, not, only, not every head boy can do this. It's, it's actually a very refined um, kind of um, mm. um, literature. When you look at so other... So it's quite specific it's very specific yeah. in part, mm. but when you look at other forms uh, like Central Africa, West Africa, and East Africa that have epic forms, that long, long pieces of literature, then you find a very interesting thing where you have a merge of these things, where you have poetry, you have history, mm. and then you have prose. Because of the length of them, these kind of festivals, um, it's like Nigerian drama, it's like uh, Nigerian Yoruba drama. You have long days of the same ritual and drama mm. and you have to have different formats because the you will not be able to keep to keep the the audience um, um engaged engaged and sustained mm. so in other uh, cultures that have a, a, like long epics or very developed uh, epic cultures you do find mixtures and in the format there's um african oralist called isidore okpeo who says that how an African child gets used to storytelling and this diversity very quickly is how the riddle, like how they'll play riddle as the sun is setting and then it goes on and on. And then this riddling becomes metaphoric so that by the time it's nighttime and it's quiet and the real fable or the epic or the story starts, the mind is ready because it has played this game, this riddling games. So, so there's a kind of like... preparing for receiving. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the, the, the genres mix, I think, in that way where we tell stories because i i always grew up you know in trinidad we again we do the riddles and we do the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the nancy and you do a lot of the the, the sayings with you know my yeah. and my grandmother yeah. always had a saying you know yeah show yeah. me your company and i'll tell you who you are or, <laughs> yeah you know what you know and and it's interesting because we grew up with that as well in the caribbean and that obviously comes directly yeah, yeah, from our yeah, african yeah yeah you know uh heritage yeah yeah and also, I, I was thinking about somebody, some, uh, one of the, you know, Ami Césaire. I just love his writing. And I always find, found that his writing is, it's political, but it's poetic. 
and I just found it's fantastic the I way he Cezaire. the I way he Cezaire writes so much. is yeah. literally poetry, yeah. but he's, he's actually amazing. critiquing political systems. Yeah, I mean, he's I think he's a poet by nature. Um, I think he he, he kind of like doubles with politics he does. because for me, I love him. I, I love him both sides, like when he's writing poetry and when he's um writing political uh, commentary. The truth about um his poetry is for me. This sense of, and Langston Hughes does the same with his poetry, this sense of connection with the African's essence. And I'm not even talking geographically here. I'm just talking about like the real strong cultural presence of Africanness in all of us, no matter where we go, no matter what the world, what kind of brutality the world imposes mm. on us. And when you see that, it's something that I was saying um, at the university the other day that if we talk about Pan-Africanism or we talk about negritude, we need to look at it in literature. We need to look at what Caribbean literature, uh, African-American literature, uh, West African literature, Southern African mm. literature has done throughout historical periods of struggle, periods of celebration, all our cultural and artistic expression connects us so deeply. We are so connected in literature. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's amazing. And also, I was, I mean, I was on the bus earlier, I mentioned, and one of the people that we were talking about was Claudia Jones, who we always, yeah. and I always use Claudia Jones's uh, quote, which is a people's art is the genesis of their freedom. And obviously, Claudia was a Trinidadian like me, born in Belmont, I always big that up. But that's the nature of it. It's like this literature, this poetry, this storytelling, it's also connected to our freedom, to our liberation. It's so entwined with it. It is. And I think when you look at um, now coming to written literature, like genres of uh, um, the African novel, when you look at the intensity of the African realist novel, this is like the 60s, 70s, 80s novel, which emerged because or out of the condition that the Africans were going through in terms of seeking independence striving and picketing and literally rioting for their liberation from colonialism that literature has a very very specific taste mm. and it's quite amazing because do we say literature is um a kind of a testimony of what we are going through or is a charge forward to the future what kind of future we're looking for recalling the past mm. so in that way um for me lit literature is yeah it, it's a it's a liber liberatory li liberatory process it's a political process it's also a very 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 significant cultural process of um self-reclamation and who we are uh, um, a self-articulation of who we are because the other problem I think I find particularly in the West is that there's this struggle that black people are not seen this invisibility of black people but I think what literature and the arts do is internally it help us see mm. ourselves the way we are as beautiful as we are you know in all our fullness. Yeah. So we're going to talk a bit more about this really fascinating subject and really important subject. But before we do, we need to get another tune in because we got to get all these tunes in, sister. So, you know, you... I, I don't, I, I send it too much um, music, did I? No, you didn't. I mean, we've got, we've got a beautiful uh, Nina Simone there. We've oh. got a Billie Holiday. We've got a Lauren Hill. I mean, I, I would like to, can we play Nina Simone? And this is a very, very, very important song, I think, uh, adding to the protest that we went to last week um, in support and, and, and outrage uh, for Child Q. And this song for me is, is very important. I, I listened to it after that protest when we came back from that po uh, protest in Hackney. And this is for women. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this. No, no, not not for women. Oh, brown, brown, baby. brown baby. Sorry, yeah. apologies, listeners. No, brown baby is uh, uh, for women. Is for us, the big women. But for uh, our little sister, this this song, I I chose it for her to dedicate it to her. Beautiful. Let's hear the voice of the great, great, great Nina Simone.
Verity Radio, music and sound. Yes, of course, that was Brown Baby by the late, great Nina Simone. Absolutely beautiful. Her voice. She's incredible. She's a storyteller. She's an amazing storyteller. Nina Simone can take a song written by anybody, a flat song, and turn it into magic. Turn yeah, it into magic can. instantly. She's one of those people. I mean, I, I, I love, I did a, quite a few ver uh, versions yesterday on the other show playing 
songs that were like really well-known songs but done by someone who doesn't normally do them a version and nina simone literally can take anything anything and make it better I'm just like, stop singing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Write your music for Nina Simone. Just let her do it. Because she's a, she's a rich, rich, diverse storyteller. And her voice, the things she does with her voice are incredible. Every performance with Nina Simone, it feels like a live performance. And so, so when you hear someone like Nina Simone and some of the other amazing, you know, Aretha Franklin, some of these amazing yeah. women of African heritage, yeah. you know, from whether they be from the Americas or in Europe or whatever, do do you see, can you make that connection between that, that history, that oral tradition in the, on the continent? Yeah, is yeah, it, is yeah, it present? yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, it's, um, there's a, there's a, 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 a really amazing book by Shoinka, I think it's called Myth in the African World. So what he does is an entire study of the Caribbean and the, the, the cultures of theater there. Mm. And for him, he traces this sort of like trinity between um, the, the, the Caribbean and the new kind of um, forms of, say, uh, um, uh, spirituality like Christianity and Yoruba spirituality and he sees in, in, in the dramas and the theater uh, of, of, of the Caribbean the, the exact exact um, living living mm. memory of these places uh, in West Africa and I do see in particularly music I think in the music of, of, of black women um, uh, in the diaspora there is an echo there is an echo of, of the African landscape every day all the time even the beat, even the beat itself, you can feel that sense of like African mm. beat. Nina Simone does that. She does that. And she, she, she says it to her audience, like all her life performances, like we're going to go home now. Like we're going to go where the beat comes from. And we see it in jazz as well. I think somebody like Coltrane's music, I think, uh, tries to sort of, um, or within itself already with that kind of like blues culture like mali uh sort of cultures and 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 um west african cultures where y you find these big orchestras um in places like mali like these big desert orchestras toric people and you see the link between the blues and um west african cultures and um African cultures, it's music and storytelling is incredible because the, it's so in sync. Mm. These people could take um, Christian spirituals and just turn them into magic overnight because yeah. of that African um, expression. Well, for me, it's a very kind of circular thing. It's like it came from the continent. It went into the diaspora. It, it, it created its own uh, versions and, and iterations in the diaspora then it went back to the continent and the continent yeah. took it and then they mixed it up and it just keeps going around yeah so like now we've got Afrobeats. yeah yeah, yeah. But, you know if you look at the history of Afrobeats and where that came from and how that kind of you know a lot of Afrobeats has very much that kind of like hip-hop vibe or it might have a kind of a reggae vibe to it yeah and yeah. it's all that and it's gone back to the continent they've taken it and they've created something original again my sister goddess this is how we've survived these people will not hear us they don't know what we're talking about we are communicating with each other and it's like this is african culture this is african soul the soul is us baby yeah most definitely most yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. so in your, your your role i don't know if the listeners know what it means or what it entails to be doing research what what as a phd uh, researcher what 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 exactly are you doing just so that people are clear what what is the role of it what does it encompass so as a phd researcher you read so many books you re that's good <laughs> you read too many books if you're doing your phd research in literature it's beautiful because you're reading so many stories but you also have to read critical books that is books about books mm. that is books about about literature and so you do two things you read a lot of books and at the same time, you write a lot of words. So you are going to, in the end, produce a text or a book that is um, 100,000 words maximum. You heard that? 100,000 words. <laughs> I'm trying to that's produce a lot, of, that's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to write, you have to, to write quite a lot. And um, the other thing that I think a lot of us uh, PhD 
candidates or researchers don't do is to sort of immerse ourselves into societies because at the end of the day and i have this really incredible friend uh aisha who's uh interested in literature but also can stand outside it and say when you're doing this kind of literary analysis what does it mean for me as a reader as a, a consumer and a lover of african literature because, and in that way because it's like that that's the balance i'm just wondering because yeah, obviously there's yeah. you putting yourself into that into yeah. that dissertation you and your creativity and your art we'll come on to talk a bit about your story writing as well yeah yeah but also then there's that academic side and i just wondered how you balance all that that kind of critical analysis and stuff how do you you go into two places for me um and it's probably because of the way my brain is structured it's not possible uh to be an academic and to be uh um writer storyteller at the same time so if i'm in a fictional mode i really am not an academic but if i am uh, in an academic mode it that particular time that i'm writing and reading intensely uh my friends sometimes say for the past two weeks you've been sounding like a book you sound like a book and it's a good thing uh, to do it in small um, segments, small <laughs> doses, because you don't want to be this kind of academics who are speaking not only very inaccessibly, but who are so absorbed inside that um, um, area, specific area of study, that they have no sense of what's happening in the world, what's happening yeah, in the neighborhood. Yeah, I wonder about that balance, because obviously the, the subject, you know, the literature that you're, you're, you're engaging with and the poetry and especially the storytelling and the oral tradition, it it's it it's not really academic it it transcends academia but at the same time there is an analysis of it which is academic and i just wonder how that all works so there are two things i think um i'll quote bell hooks here and bell hooks loves uh theory like she is ac academic 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 proper and for her i don't like theory i don't uh in the beginning when i started this phd i said my struggle was going to be theory to be speaking about post-structuralism post-modernism modernism post-colonial post theories i will not be able to do that because of the detachment and the distance that i think these theories have which is away from African literature. Mm. So I had a very incredible uh, supervisor who was a Somali uh, poetry um, specialist who said, you need to theorize the text themselves. You need to make the texts theorize themselves. There is nothing that theory has done that these texts have not done. So there's nothing that um, like uh, uh, Western theory has done that African theorists have, have not done. And this brings me um, very, very, very intimately and closely to Bell Hooks. Because Bell Hooks says that our cultures, our people are theorizing all the time. Black people are in debate, in conversation, in discourse every single day about issues, particularly struggling, liberation and political freedom. We are in these discussions every day because they are real. They are mm. immediate. It's what we're these, living. These concepts are, are, are concerns that are mm. real to us. So if you're going to talk about theory, you need to link it very quickly to the fact that my people are theorizing, have been theorizing every day in community meetings, in protests. Mm. They're not just standing there without a plan or without a theoretical, how do we go forward? When that protest en ended uh, last week, um uh with the with the sisters they said we we will march from here to parliament that is theory and practice we connected together to be an outrage to say what is the plan we will hold who is accountable accountable or at least show even if the system is against us yes. so that kind of lift theory and practice for me is what i try to do in my phd and i kind of try to encourage uh young black um academics to get into that habit of first of all own it you already have it don't stress you already have it and do it and also you as part of your work your research you're also teaching i'm also teaching yes and how is that um teaching is really beautiful because it's a uh, it's like duty teaching help us to actually contribute because I think when you teach, particularly in white, predominantly white universities, which is what every UK university will yeah. be like, we live in white people's the white world. Is it, we live in the white people's world. But you see something really tragic, which is that uh, black and Asian students score much less than um, their white counterparts, regardless of what class or environment similarities they come from. So you can see that there is a, an institutional mechanism of racism inside mm. the structure that is really working against uh, black people. So when you are a teacher, you not only try to give a sense of um, 
extra dedicated attention to black students that might be there because it's your duty as a black person to make them achieve and pass mm. and graduate. But at the same time, you try to create a kind of a classroom where people understand that a privileged body or a pr privileged voice is not automatic and should not continue like that. Yeah. That every person in the classroom has to be liberated. And this uh, is, again, uh, something that I have learned from Bell Hoops, that a, liberate, a, liberate, a liber liberated classroom holds the teacher not only accountable, but the teacher is equal. You have to present the students. Because African students, for example, they come from such a multiplicity of cultures. They already mm. know so many things from their aunties, their uncles, what they read, their music. So you come to a classroom, you silence a student like that. Not only has that student lost, you've also lost as a teacher. Yes, you've lost their input. Their you've lost experience. their input because yeah. they educate you. It should be a two-way. It should be a two-way transaction. Yeah, 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 the living and yeah. the learning. Beautiful, beautiful. We should release the power of control of the classroom. Most definitely. So let's try and get another tune in, and then we're going to come and talk a bit about your you as a writer, because we have to get that in. So uh, what do you want me to play next? Um, I, I would love to play for you to play Lauren Hill and Bob Mully. Uh -oh. Okay, let's go. Turn your lights down low.
That was a, a bit of a abrupt stop. <laughs> I was meant to let that play out and then stop it. <laughs> Apologies, listeners. That was a beautiful Lauren Hill, accompanied, of course, by her, I suppose, her father-in-law, but he yeah. already passed on, uh, yeah, on, yeah. on Turn Your Lights Down Low. Yeah. What a beautiful song. And I was just commenting on her ability to just use language, you know, this this rapping thing that we call it. Yeah. Spoken yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. And so... We've, in our last 10 minutes, I mean, I can't believe that hour's gone so quickly. We've, we've literally coming to the end of the show again. And uh, Freestyle will be taking over the uh, control of the, 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 the studio. And he will have the iconic Winston Barrett coming in at 6 o'clock when he does his vinyl Saturday session. Uh, so in our last 10 minutes, uh, I wanted to just hear a little bit about you as a writer. What do you want to share? I mean, what sort of... Where, and where can we also get access to your work i think that would be great for people to, to be able to read what you've written i know you've contributed to some, some um literature. let me th there's i think uh two or three stories that are online that are easily accessible um african magazine so if you could just type my name in fact, if you could just type my name and say short story into Google, you will see three stories that are available so there's african magazine and there's Botsoto. Uh, magazine, uh, which is B-O-T-S-O-T-S-O -S -S -O magazine. There's a very short piece that I wrote there, which was a kind of a commissioned writing that we were responding to a book on the Rwandan genocide. So we had to read this book, uh, which is like a documentary kind of uh, piece, and we had to write fictionalized um, fic um, uh, um, accounts um, account of, mm. of our own response to the book. Mm -hmm. And it's a very short story. It's called uh, Damien's Shoes. And it's about this, it's kind of like a st true story and a, and, and a fictional story. It's about a man who, during the genocide, um, was so distraught because his little boy was gone and he saw uh, a dog with the boy's shoe passing. And it, he knew. So he had this haunting sort of memory of uh, a boy that is uh, gone didn't witness the real um, passing of the boy. So that, I think, moved me very much in terms of uh, my relation or my response to, to the Rwandan genocide, which is one of the uh, um, most recent um, um, brutal genocides yeah. on the African continent. Mm, my, my fiction, again, I think is... Um, my fiction writing is kind of influenced by writers, uh, uh, African writers like Ben Okri, um uh Bessie Head uh from Botswana and um Ole Shoinka. I, I love Ole Shoinka's plays. They are magical. That man is a genius. 
And I also love um, uh, diaspora literatures. I love uh, African-American literature quite a lot. And I think African-American literature is the literature that actually got me to start to see the connection between the stories that I was told oh, as a me child too. and literature. Like I, I mean, just, I, I, it was, I, Alice Walker and... and, and uh, Alice uh, Walker is incredible. I know, her I writing. I can't and, believe and how underrated Alice Walker is. Alice Walker is magic. Oh, she is. I, 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 her and, of course... Um, Maya Angelou's book. I love Maya that, Angelou. Maya Angelou is so sweet because she's actually writing nonfiction in such a prose voice. Mm. When you read Maya Angelou, you're like lost because it's so beautiful and so lyrical, but actually it's reality. It's and like, Toni Morrison, of course. Toni Morrison is incredible. I mean, Toni Morrison's work is so inspiring. And for me as a poet, I feel, again, I read poetry in her, in her prose. Yeah, she's. I, I think she tries to actually make literature poetry yeah she does something impossible she's just like you will read it or you will not this is who i am she's so poetic hey the amount of quotations that i would be taking out of tony morrison i'm telling you i had a friend who would have a tony morrison um session like every birthday i buy you a tony morrison book you buy me a tony morrison book by the end of the day we would be sitting there with like eight books and the quotations just talking <laughs> talking miss tm speech like just quoting her lines because she's that incredible and for me literature is truly connected to our lives alice walker gives you the lives of the people or, or mm. the black people that um she is writing about so vividly so visually so my my literature has that visual uh sense because i am i come from a very visual culture um i see stories in color uh, uh life happens in color i come from beautiful sunsets and beautiful um sunrises i come from a beautiful um um uh, landscape that is mountainous in southern africa if you go further into like botswana zimbabwe swaziland it transforms itself so much so that landscape talks to me that landscape is what i miss or i i try to celebrate uh in my in my in my stories and the kind of african people that are complex and that are living with us and that you you kind of like the kind of characters that you kind of don't see being written about you see very i don't know pale um amiable characters for me i like characters that are extremely contradictory because that's that's how my people are that's how african people are african people are very contrary and very intense and beautiful in very intense complicated and complex ways and i try to celebrate that to create a literature um that speaks of where i come from that speaks of those people with love because i have been taught to love those people and see them as human beings regardless of their complications and their differences. So I tried to bring that multiplicity of uh, uh, an African essence in terms of our characterization because I always feel like the African character is always either this docile, educated <laughs> man or a very rebellious, uh, incorrigible um, uh, African man. We don't speak about the African woman quite a lot mm. and we don't speak about different kinds of African men, which is the uncles and the cousins and nieces and the nephews that we're growing up with. Like, where are these lives when we write our literature? Who are we writing about? Who are we writing for? So, because I write for African people, I always um, see my the people I grew up with or the places I've been to Johannesburg because I lived in Johannesburg. If I write a city story, it's boiling and peppery and crazy and full of love and hope like Johannesburg and full of contradictions as well. If I write a rural story or a, a um, pastoral story, it would be sort of like a Lesotho kind of vibe, slow mountains, cold wind, people that are kind of like slow and the story kind of revolves around the complication of one person's like small event growing into this big village event, community event. Wow, so very, very connected. It, yeah, it's very, very, very connected. It's beautiful. And and what about, I mean, we've got a few minutes left. We're going to play out with a, a, a one of your songs. But in just really, I just wonder, you've been here for, what, three or four years. How how has living in the UK affected your writing? Has it, has it, has it had any impact at all? Or is it simply just a backdrop against which you kind of live? At a personal level, I don't, I'm not able to recognize it. I think somebody who has re who reads my stories or has read them before I left uh, uh, Johannesburg to, to come and stay in the UK and then afterwards can maybe make that trace, but I'm not able to, to do it. And this is what I always say about a writer's growth. You do not see your growth as a writer at all. The reader will see it, but you don't because you're still the same person that you think you were yesterday.
Wonderful. I love that. You're always the same person that you think you were yesterday. It's beautiful. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of our show, the Speak Your Truth. And I'm the Eclectic Goddess, and I've had my very special guest sister, Retsapile, talking about African literature and the work that she's doing, and also as a writer of, of uh, African, I suppose we call it African literature. <laughs> what yeah, else yeah, could it be yeah, as an yeah, African yeah, woman? Yeah, yeah. So where are you going to next? In terms of your work, uh, what what is your kind of focus in the next kind of year or so, or, or the next my, few months actually? My my focus is to teach because I don't think there's enough of us uh, African specialists that are teaching about Africa and talking about Africa, and uh, I think in higher learning institutions, helping and encouraging Africans to excel and be great uh, and and serve the purpose of greatness that they they came to this earth for. Asheo, and of course. It's so important that anything about Africa is centered by African people. Yes. I mean, that I believe that too. Yeah. I believe, I believe that. So I want to thank you so much for giving thank up you. your Saturday and thank coming you. and thank joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a beautiful Saturday. Yes, it certainly One has. What a lovely Saturdays. day to do it. And we're going to play you out with your tune, God Bless the Child, because it's a short one. We've only got about a minute. We won't get to play the whole tune, but we've got to end with Billie Holiday. She's oh, an amazing I know woman. you love Billie Holiday. We all love Billie Holiday. Uh, next week, my special guest will be my brothers from the Afrocentrics, brothers J.C. Kamau and brother Junior Tomlin, who've joined me before. Have a blessed Saturday, people. This has been the Eclectic Goddess for the Speaker Truth Show, and we will shortly have the man himself freestyle in the studio. Enjoy. God bless the child. Mm -hmm. Shall get them that's not shall lose. So the Bible.